God blesses the wicked and why the wicked seem to fare better than the faithful. And that he concludes, as he's in the midst of his consternation, that he has been obedient to God all for no good purpose. And that it was not worthwhile to be obedient, it was not worthwhile to be faithful, because in the thinking of the psalmist, God should have blessed him as he did uh, the wicked, and in fact not blessed the wicked at all. And so it is that uh, he finally comes to the conclusion as he brings to his uh, Bring before his mind uh, the end of all things, and that is when he considered uh, the justice of God to be revealed at the end of the ages. A contrast with the psalmist in Psalm 73 and that of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet, does not uh, in any way question uh, God's goodness. He questions why God is dealing with them in such a way that they are going to suffer at the hands of a people more wicked than they. Please stand for the reading of God's Word this evening. Habakkuk chapter 1, we're going to move down through verse 12. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So he's describing the condition of Israel at this time in the history of God's Old Testament people. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Here's God's answer. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth and seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth before them, before themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward, and they gather captivities like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. And then Habakkuk's reply, Are you not from everlasting to everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die O Lord, you ordained them for judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Please pray for me as I try to preach this. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this evening. Let's pray. Our God and Father in heaven, we do ask you to bless our time together now as we come to your word. I pray that you would be with me as I preach the scriptures. Pray that you would be with the congregation as the word is preached, that it would be, Lord, for our benefit, that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear us, we pray, our God, in Christ's name. Amen. If there was ever someone that received bad news, something that seemed to be terribly inconsistent with God's promises, it was the prophet Habakkuk. What's happening is he is distressed by the wickedness he sees all around him. There's unfaithfulness. 
the law is perverted. Even the priests who are to rule for righteousness in the land are perverting justice. And as he looks around, he is perplexed as why God doesn't do something. If you're a God of justice, if you're a God of might, if you're a God of power, then why don't you correct these wrongs that are being committed by your people? And God informs him that that is exactly what he is going to do, but not in the way that the prophet had imagined. Babylon is becoming a world power. Nebuchadnezzar is a powerful king, and it is Babylon that is going to come in and to take over Israel. They're going to fall. They're going to be led away into captivity. And this is the way that God is going to correct them. And so here, as the prophet hears from God what he is going to do, he comes to this conclusion, Are you not from everlasting to everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. And we can ask ourselves, as we begin our study this evening, how is it that we respond to trials? How do we respond to bad news? How do we respond when we are told something that we never thought would happen to us? How does a woman respond when her husband tells her that he's leaving? How does one respond when you sit in the doctor's office and the doctor comes in after your test and he says, I'm sorry, we've got bad news, you've got cancer, or you've got something else going on with you? Well, the prophet gives us words here in verse 12 that his focus is turning from the circumstances that he's going to face to the character of God. And as he considers the character of God, he remembers that God is a God who is trustworthy. God is a God who is faithful. God is a God who is filled with mercy. So it is then, as we face trials in our life, as we face difficulties in our life, we do well to remember that the God who is sovereign, The God who controls all things is a God who is full of mercy, full of compassion, and the God who is ever faithful to his people. He will not utterly leave us nor forsake us. And then notice the first thing here, that our confidence in God's loving care is rest in his eternality. Are you not from everlasting to everlasting, he says here in the text. And so our uh, scriptures, our, the word of God, presents to us a God that is self-existent. There never was a time when God did not exist. There never will be a time when he does not exist. He is from all eternity. <clears throat> and as the prophet looks at this, as the prophet considers this, uh, he recognizes the distinction between the God of Israel and the God of other nations. As the God of other nations are false gods, they cannot hear, they cannot help, they cannot answer prayer. In our own day and age, we put so much faith and emphasis in technology and things that and somehow in some way give us a sense of comfort, but yet there's no comfort to be had ultimately but except in the God who gives us life. That is where our comfort must last. And so here, the prophet, as he thinks about God, thinks back to the fact that God has always been. That he is a God who has no new ideas. He is a God who does not come up with a new theory. He is a God who is consistent. He is a God who is always the same. He has no new thoughts. He has no new ideas. Well, that would mean there was something that God did not know. He knows all things. And his purposes are from everlasting to everlasting. And so as we see history unfolding day by day before our eyes, we recognize that it is the unfolding of the plan of God that is from all eternity. As God rules over all things, 
for his own good pleasure. He is indeed from everlasting, from everlasting. One put it like this. From everlasting, he had settled on a purpose. History provided the framework in which the sovereign Lord would bring to pass his eternal intentions. God has not quit on his people. God has not quit on his promises. Though he has taken the Old Testament people through a significant trial, he has not quit on them. And so the prophet says here this, yes, though you are going to discipline us by the hands of this nation and the character of this nation, they're cruel. They're bloodthirsty. They know no mercy. You've heard that Roman soldiers, as Roman soldiers uh, uh, worked and lived in that military lifestyle, they were very ruthless in the things that they did. The Nazi soldiers. Not every German soldier was a member of the Nazi party. Every German soldier was not a member of the Nazi party. But a lot of the cruelty that took place from those soldiers is well known. And it is how in the world could someone treat someone with such inhumanity and uh, in such a cruel fashion? Well, it is uh, the fact that uh, by nature uh, we are depraved and we will do things that are unimaginable. And yet at the same time, as we go through these things and as we see these things happen, our God is in control of history. It's not as if he's let loose the reins of government. It's not as if he has closed his eyes. It's not as if things are escaping his notice. He's fully aware and he is fully in control. And that is at all times. He is eternal. His purposes do not change. If you'd listen, please, what I read Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 27. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. We read this. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms and he thrusts out the enemy before you. That though our God is a God who brings difficulties our way, and though our God is a God who takes us through the midst of trials, nevertheless, our God is a God who lives forever and a God who loves us more than we can ever think or imagine. He is everlasting to everlasting. His purposes do not end. So he is asking, will we survive and the answer to that question is, indeed, we will, because of the God who rules is the God who is a God of mercy and grace and justice. If the Chaldeans come and they conquer and they are going to do that, we know that from church history. We know that from world history. If they're going to come and take them away, it will not be the end of God's covenant people. And notice how he refers to God here. Oh, Lord, my God, my holy one. He uses the name of the covenant name of God here. What is the covenant of God? What is God's commitment to a people of his own? And we are. Uh, Today, if you're a Christian, you are part of the true Israel. Uh, you are a part, as what Paul says, that not everyone who descends from Abraham is a true descendant of Abraham at all. But rather, those of faith are the true Israel. And so, as he mentions here, O oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, he's thinking back to the time that God promised Abraham, I will be a God to you and to your children after you. And I will be your God to you for all time. And the nations of the world will be blessed through your seed. And that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he looks back at God's faithfulness to that promise, O Lord, my God. And he also goes on to express the fact that God is holy, my holy one. The God who is completely and totally free from sinful thoughts, from sinful passions, from sinful urges, from sinful acts. Our God is altogether through and through a God who is holy. 
And when we deal with difficulties and we accuse him of wrong, it is a horrible sin. Have you ever accused God of wrong? Have you ever had the experience in your life? And as you deal with it, it makes no sense whatsoever why God's putting you through this, why you're having to deal with this. And we ask in such a way that it is inappropriate and begin to accuse God of being unfair or accuse God of not being right. No, he is a God who is holy. So he's saying, oh, Lord, my God, the covenant God, the God who is altogether holy, the God who is altogether good, and the God who is my God. Their personal relationship that he expresses here, that my God is a God who is faithful. He speaks of an awareness. The prophet is fully aware of how close the relationship is to God and his people. That he's personal with them. My God, my Lord, my King. And it is with us as well that God knows us and loves us very intimately. He is quite aware when we are hurting. He is quite aware when we are confused. He is quite aware when we are afraid. And he cares. He is our God who is well acquainted with us. And listen to this, if I might read this quote to you. We are an offending people. He is an offended God, yet he is our God. We read it again. We are an offending people. He is an offended God, and he is our God. And he will not any way entertain any thoughts of casting us off. He may discipline us. He will try us, but he will not cast us off so that he would no longer be his people. Our God is a God, again, who is altogether faithful and altogether holy. And we speak of God's holiness in two aspects, his majestic holiness. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. The majestic holiness of God, which is seen in the creation, as God has displayed his power. And everything that we see is underneath him, that he rules over all things. He is distinct from the creation. Then also God's ethical holiness, where he is altogether holy and pure. And we know that great text in Isaiah. We read that this morning as well in Sunday school, where Isaiah, the call of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. And here's this godly prophet. And he sees this theophany, this physical representation of God. And so it is that the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, their angels. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his body, with two he flew. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And here are these angels declaring the unadulterated holiness of God, altogether pure, altogether righteous, And you know that as they fly back and forth and they are declaring God's holiness, they show themselves because their holiness is the derived holiness. God's holiness is innate. It is in and of himself that he has that holiness. And what did Isaiah do when he sees this? You know, it says that the the foundation of the temple is is, uh, is shaking. The smoke is filling the temple. And he says this, woe is me. For I am lost. I'm of man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. This was very likely one of the holiest men in Israel at this time. Very, very godly man. Very committed to service. And yet when he sees this vision of God with the central focus of that God being God's holiness, he says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. 
And so there he was forced to see uh, whether he wanted to or not. He was forced to recognize that as he stood before this God, he was terribly lacking. He was a man who was well acquainted with lawlessness and well acquainted with sin as he stood there before this God who was infinite in holiness. Our God is infinite and holy in and of himself. The angels demonstrated that as he saw this vision that uh, God brought before him in the temple. And notice this as well. He recognizes that God is sovereign over all things and God ordains everything that comes to pass. In these verses, O Lord, you have ordained them for judgment. He's very submissive here. He does not argue against God's decision to bring judgment against Israel. You have ordained them for what we deserve. You have ordained them for our correction. And so they are coming against us, but we will not die. We will not be undone. We will not cease to be your people. We will be corrected. You have ordained them for, as you see fit, for reproof for our good. And so it is that the strength that the prophet finds comes to him from a God who is faithful, from a God who is just, from a God who is loyal. And so, again, he looks beyond the circumstances. We've talked about that so many times here uh, behind this pulpit, that uh, our strength comes from looking beyond the circumstances to looking at the God who has ordained those circumstances. How do we know God is trustworthy? How do we know we can depend upon God? Well, it is through Christ. It is through the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. It was, as the prophet looking back to his day, that this was a God who was going to provide for the well-being of his people. We are on the backside of Calvary. We are on the backside of the crucifixion. And we can see how our God is intending good things for us as his people. That's not to say that we will not face trials. It's not to say we will not face severe difficulties. But we know that God is, loves us and is for us. As you look at this, purposes of God displayed to us in Christ Jesus. That this one who was from everlasting to everlasting took flesh upon himself. And this one who took flesh upon himself lived a life of holiness for our sakes. And this one who took flesh upon himself died on the cross of Calvary for our sakes. And was raised from the dead for our good. It's this God... That the prophet is praying to as he says this, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. You have ordained them. You have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, our God and our King. I ask you if you knew Chuck Yeager. How many people have no idea who Chuck Yeager was? Okay. Oh, quite a few. That's good. Give me an opportunity to talk about him. He was a test pilot. He was an ace in World War II. He was also in, uh, in the Vietnam War. He was in World War II, wasn't he? And uh, he was a test pilot, the first man to break the sound barrier in December of 1947. Uh, sound barrier is Mach 1. I don't know how many miles an hour it is, how many feet per second it is. I can't remember how fast sound travels. But he broke the sound barrier. One day he went up in, again, a a test plane, an experimental plane, and he almost got to the reaches of outer space. 
and the plane malfunctioned and he went into a deep dive, fell 95,000 feet. And at that point, he, re- he ejected out of the plane. Well, the straps on the seat came loose, but the burners in the seat uh, hit him and ignited his, uh, his mask book, ignited the oxygen that was inside of his mask and burned his face. So uh, the doctor said this to him, I am going to have to hurt you very badly to prevent you from scarring badly. So every day he went to the doctor and the doctor scrubbed the burnt skin and scabs off of his face. But at the end of it, he looked, you couldn't tell really he had been burned. That's what God does with us. He cleans the scabs off of us, if you will, because we need to be cleaned up. We are a people that are well acquainted with sin. And we comfort and take comfort in Christ as he is the fulfillment of God's purposes for us ultimately. And the only way that we can live our lives and go through things that are trying for us is by trusting him. Do you think God knows what he's doing? First thing, do you think God exists? In our own day and age, many people think the insanity of of, he doesn't exist. This is all by chance event. Well, if you think he exists, then do you think he knows what he's doing? Do you think he is a God of love as he presents himself to us in the scriptures as being a God of loving kindness and mercy? And that as we go through the trials, we recognize that it's not as if God has somehow and in some way decided he doesn't like us. It's because he loves us that we go through trials. It says in the book of Hebrews, we go through difficult things in order that we may share in his holiness. And this beautiful section where Habakkuk rests in God's wisdom and rests in God's providence, that is something that we must do as well, rest in the providence of God. Uh, we are to put our faith and trust in him that God knows what he's doing. And as I said this morning, as we looked at the text from, uh, uh, from uh, Psalm 73, one thing that we can be assured of as we go through trials, and this trial that Habakkuk was going through was no small thing. You know what happened? They came in, they killed people. Uh, they came in with their nets and cast them over people and drug them away. They put hooks in the jaws of people, hooks in the cheeks of people, led them in line and led them away into captivity in Babylon. What seventh, one of the seventh wonders of the world in Babylon, what was it? The Hanging Gardens. <laughs> the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Y'all knew that one, I know. You had to have known that one. So, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, a ruthless individual. This, uh, no, so again, no small thing because Habakkuk understands they are the people of God. Well, we say that we're Christians, we are the people of God. And yet, how is it that God takes us through these trials? He, again, he does so. In order that, we may share in his holiness. And it all depends upon how you respond to the trials that you face in your life. We can face them in faith and trust, or we can face them in rebellion against God. And that ain't the way to go. Because to go that way, you're going to dilute your affections for Christ. You're going to be living as if there is no God at all. So we trust him. And we have every reason in the world to trust him. As he is a God of truth, a God of mercy, 
and a God of grace. I love this. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? That's his conviction. That's his conviction of who God is and what he's like. You are from everlasting. You are my covenant God, committed to me, faithfully committed to me. And you are holy. And we will not die. We will not cease to be. You've appointed them to make us more like you. Remember that as we go through the difficulties of this life. He's appointed this for my good. That I might be more like Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. What's beautiful text from this Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. As he comes to the conviction of the reality of your love. Even in the midst of severe punishment coming, trial coming. And nonetheless, he knows that you are his strength. You are holy. And you, O oh God, are faithful in all that you do. His rock Everlasting support in the times of difficulty. Oh, Lord, you do not change. You do not cease to love us. I give you thanks and praise for that in Christ's name. Amen. What's the next hymn, Jess?